welcome you this morning, this afternoon. I'm not sure what noon is, but I see a lot of visitors here. My name is David Driscoll. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. Um, also, just want to make quick note, if you don't have a church home, we would love to have you join us for one of our Easter services. You can look in the last page of our worship guide uh, to see when those services will take place. Uh, we have been walking through the Gospel of Mark for some months now, and we're coming to an end, and uh, want to commend to you Jesus the King by Tim Keller. It's his insight into the life of Christ from uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, I'll be relying on it heavily, uh, particularly Keller's focus and highlighting on darkness in Mark 15. In the Christian faith, the Bible teaches that there is a real darkness in our world, and there's a darkness that exists in, in all of us in the human heart that is sin. It's created a, a barrier with God. It's created a barrier with one another, even with ourselves and with all of creation even. But there's also a darkness that just exists in every aspect of our world that touches every part of our world because of the fall. And there's moments and there's seasons in life where we acutely feel that darkness where it seems like the darkness is just too much to bear, where the darkness is overtaking the light. We think about the events in Nashville last week, the ongoing war in Ukraine, the global pandemic of the last few years. Maybe we've received the diagnosis and it's terminal. Maybe we're watching our children or our parents suffer. We live in that day-to-day -day strain of broken relationships. The list could go on and on. Christians don't need to be reminded that there is darkness and that it's real. But we do need to be reminded that we have a Savior and a King who enters into that darkness for us. This morning, I simply want us to look at verses 33 through 39, and, and really this theme of darkness. You look at verse 33, it was the sixth hour had come, 12 o'clock, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, three o'clock. During the middle of the day, this inexplicable darkness descends upon the land. Now in the Bible, Darkness is a sign of God's judgment, of his displeasure. We should think back to when the people of God were slaves in Egypt. And the next to last plague was a plague of darkness, of God acting in judgment on behalf of his people. It was complete and utter darkness. This darkness on this day was a supernatural darkness as God was acting in judgment. But who was God judging? Look at the cry of Jesus 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus was forsaken by God. Jesus was taking on sin and he experiences the full range of human evil. But there's something much, much greater that he is experiencing. John Calvin commenting uh, on the line from the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. He argues that this descent was not merely descending into physical death in the grave. He believes that it represents something much greater, that Jesus suffered not just bodily pain, but all the torments that a soul in hell cut off from God's presence would experience. Calvin goes on to say, he bore all the punishments evildoers should have sustained. He suffered the death that God in his wrath had inflicted upon the wicked. It's not only that Christ's body was given as the price of our redemption, but that he paid a greater and more excellent price in suffering in his soul the terrible moments of a condemned and forsaken man. Surely no more terrible abyss can be conceived than to feel yourself forsaken and estranged from God and, to when, and when you call upon him to not be heard. That's what Jesus is experiencing on the cross. As far as Christ's experience is concerned, he loses everything with the Father, just as a damned soul would. He loses God's presence, God's favor, God's communication, And therefore, any feeling, sense of God's love. That's the darkness. Now, make no mistake, there is no rupture in the Trinity. The Father never ceases loving the Son. In fact, the Father never loved and admired the Son more than he does when Jesus is on the cross. Because this, this was the triune's God's plan from all eternity. But he does experience the loss of God's love and presence. He loses all sense and experience in any practical possession of God's love and presence. Think about this loss. This loss between the eternal Father and the eternal Son. The Father and the Son have loved each other for all eternity. It's infinitely long. It's infinitely perfect and Jesus is losing it. You know, if, if after this service, one of you came up to me and said, I, I never want to see you or talk to you again, that would sting. That would hurt. But if I go home today and my wife says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, it's a lot worse. The longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. Gives a little insight into the love, the perfect and infinite love that Jesus is losing. Why? Why is he losing this? Why this loss? Because Jesus was experiencing our judgment day. So when Jesus asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not a rhetorical question. We actually know why. The Nicene Creed states, for us men and for our salvation is why Jesus came. And did all that he came to do, including going to the cross. It was for you and for me. He went to the cross to take the darkness upon himself. 
This darkness shows what happens when humans rebel against God and we live in that rebellion. See, after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, the trajectory of humans, of really the entire creation was towards sin and darkness, towards the, cu- the judgment of God. And only Jesus, the very son of God, could alter that trajectory. And he actually alters that trajectory by making it his trajectory. He experienced the complete darkness for which we should be headed. He experiences the full measure of God's judgment for us. He died the death that we should have died so that we can be saved from this judgment and instead live in the light of God's presence. And this passage and the passion narrative showed us, shows us it actually worked. It actually worked. The passage tells us Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices because his sacrifice alone is perfect and sufficient. And this tearing of the curtain shows that now anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. Like a thief. A guilty thief on the cross who was assured of being with Jesus that very day in paradise. And like a centurion who is in charge of presiding over a crucifixion at the foot of the cross. Our passage says when the centurion who stood facing him, facing Jesus, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now, if you remember way back when, the very first verse in the gospel of Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No one throughout Mark's gospel refers to Jesus as the Son of God until this centurion. He's the first one to do it. Now, there's some safe assumptions here we can make about this centurion. Um, He's a pagan. He's a Roman pagan. Um, He would never call anyone the son of God except for Caesar. And he was a hard, hard man. See, a centurion is, it's not a member of the noble class that gets kind of a, a military rank because of their nobility. He is an enlisted man who has to work his way up the ranks to this position So we can assume that he had served for a while and he had seen death. He had inflicted it. He was a hardened, brutal man. But there's something that penetrates this hardness, something that penetrates his spiritual darkness, and he becomes the first person in Mark's gospel to confess the deity of Christ. This should encourage us and it should encourage those of us who have friends and families that don't yet know Jesus, that there is no one that is outside of God's grace. No one is outside, out of reach of God's grace. No one can say, well, you don't know what I've done. It's like we sang last night, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. The centurion shows us no one is out, out of reach of God's grace. 
Well, the text tells us what penetrated his spiritual darkness, says he was facing Jesus, and he saw that in this way he breathed his last. Hmm. Now, we don't get a lot of specifics there, but there was something about the way that Jesus died. There was something about the way that this centurion heard his cry and watched Jesus breathe his last breath. There was something so unique about the way that Jesus gave his life that softened this hardened man's heart. Probably that he was taking on the judgment of God and being forsaken by his father. Because this was a greater darkness and suffering than anyone had ever experienced. There was something so horrific and terrible about that. But there's also something really beautiful about it as well. It was beautiful because Jesus lost infinite love out of his infinite love for you and for me. It was the greatest act of love ever. No greater act of love has ever been done. And it was the Son of God. On some level, the centurion grasped all of this. Now, was he converted? Was he regenerated? I don't know. But what we do know is that he, he does recognize the unique and tragic and beautiful way in which Jesus died. And so my question for us is, do we recognize this? Do we see this? Have we entrusted ourselves to Jesus and to his love? Do we believe that he truly entered the darkness fully for us? Do we believe that we are truly forgiven of all of our sins? Past, present, future, all. The, the implications and applications of, of Jesus' death on the cross are tremendous. And there are far too many for us to list this morning. And I, I, I just want to finish our time with one regarding suffering. The cross assures us that suffering is never senseless. Look, we may never know the reason. Oftentimes, we don't know the reason for our suffering, but the cross tells us what it isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that he's abandoned you or that he's distant from you. It can't be because God is condemning you for your sin because Jesus was abandoned for you. Jesus was condemned in your place. See, the cross proves that God loves you and actually understands what it means to suffer. It reminds us that suffering in darkness is temporary because Jesus took on complete and eternal darkness for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, it feels odd calling this Good Friday when, when we think about the darkness that Jesus entered into. 
And yet it is good. It is great. It is beautiful that He did this for us and for our salvation. He did this to forgive us of all of our sins and He did this to ensure that suffering is never meaningless. Jesus, thank You that You suffered in such a way that we will never have to if we belong to You. Father, many of us are suffering in a number of ways. Would You lift up our hearts today? Would You prepare our hearts for Sunday? For the resurrection when we're promised that the worst case scenario for the Christian is everlasting life. It's resurrection life. So would you prepare our hearts to receive that wonderful news this Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.